Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, why is Brexit back in the news? There's something really weirdly comforting about going to bed on Sunday night, knowing that the big stories on Monday were going to be the leaving cert and Brexit. Just for a few minutes, it felt like it did before the pandemic. That feeling obviously didn't last too long, but Peter Foster's story in the Financial Times did really shake us on the shoulders to remind us that Brexit used to be the possible catastrophe we most feared. In that story, Foster reported that the British government is planning legislation which would deliberately undermine last October's withdrawal agreement, just days before the next round of trade talks between the UK and the European Union. Oh my days. Unsurprisingly, the Northern Ireland Protocol, one of the stickiest parts of the whole negotiation, is still top of the list of things that Brexiteers aren't happy with. And why Boris Johnson reportedly wants to renege on parts of it, things like the fact that EU law on state aid will apply to the UK in relation to the goods trade in Northern Ireland, or that there's a requirement for Northern Irish businesses to complete export summary declarations when they send goods over to the mainland. But it's probably been a while since you cared about any of this. And the pandemic has probably put your knowledge so far to the back of your mind that you need a refresher. I certainly need a refresher, so I'm delighted to be rejoined by Shona Murray, Europe correspondent for Euronews. Shona, you're very welcome back to The Explainer. I've just been looking at a litany of tweets that show last November's headlines beside today's. Boris Johnson going from pledging all Tory MPs will back his deal to him saying that that deal never really made any sense in the first place. What is after happening? Can you take us back to Sunday night and the story that seems to have changed everything? Yes, so we had a report from the Financial Times saying that the UK was about to introduce legislation on Wednesday, so tomorrow, uh, that would repeal parts of the withdrawal agreement in relation to the Irish Protocol. Now, the Irish Protocol part of the withdrawal agreement is the the area that deals with essentially the Good Friday and the border. And it, it, it puts... Northern Ireland in the same customs union, the same single market rules as the rest of the European Union, essentially a different jurisdiction for goods, for services and so on. Um, the UK has, is reportedly about to try to repeal parts of that. Problematically, of course, this is a withdrawal agreement that was signed uh, that is in situ uh, that is not able to, re- to be reopened because essentially it's, a, it's an international treaty as it is. And then obviously worryingly, is if the UK does decide to resile from this position and not implement the protocol, then you know you could see a border on the island of Ireland after all, because the protocol, what it did was it created a border on the Irish Sea. And if the UK is not going to implement that, that infrastructure, then we could be back at square one. So it's incredibly serious. And the timing of this is all interesting because we're about to head into another round of trade talks. Were these particularly important ones? I mean, they're important because of the time that we're at. We're the first week of September. It's the eighth round of trade talks. Um, and the deal was supposed to be complete by the end of October in order for it to be ratified by all uh, parliaments, including the European Parliament, for it to be in place for the 1st of January, which is when the UK leaves the EU single market and the customs union. So essentially, it's the whole new future relationship between the EU and the UK. Currently, even though uh, Britain is outside the EU, um, you know, technically speaking, it's de facto in the EU in terms of being in the single market and the customs union, which meant there were no changes to how uh, goods flowed around the European Union. That will all change. And that's what the point of these negotiations were. And they're remarkable for the fact that they have achieved nothing. And that is, you know, for this, they have been ongoing since uh, early March. 
since pretty much after the, the UK left the EU and the mandates were published. And they've been stuck really ever since they began on the major substantive issues, which is around uh, state aid and around fisheries and around governance. So is could that be the point of, of this leak, the, the idea that they're trying to unstick something or is that giving too much credit to the British negotiators? Um, like what's the reason for, for this kind of uh, noise coming out of the UK? Well, that's the million dollar question, Sinead. Nobody knows because, um, well, first of all, isn't it a remarkable thing that a prime minister, as you mentioned at the start, urged all of Parliament to vote for this deal back in October. He left Brussels triumphant, saying that he had managed to get the EU to reopen the withdrawal agreement. When in actual fact, what he did was do something that the EU had asked, and asked Theresa May, the former Prime Minister, to do uh, you know, a year before, which is essentially separate Northern Ireland uh, and keep it in the EU's customs union and single market. Somehow Boris Johnson was able to sell this to MPs and he was able to win a, a, a huge majority in election based on this deal, based on him being victorious. And here we are a year later, him trying to put to the rest, to the British people and to the EU that he didn't in fact know what the implications of that deal were. That's insane. But that's actually where we're at. And what has the reaction, we'll go through the, the various stakeholders, what has the reaction been like from the UK, so from Brexiters and from Remainers, I guess, if that's still the divide? Well, if you look at, um, you know, what's been happening in the press and, and then from Brexiteers over the past few weeks, that, that will kind of give you a little bit of an idea as to what this is all about, because you had people like Ian Duncan Smith, you know, former um, leader of the Conservative Party, prominent Brexiteer, um, saying that the withdrawal agreement should be ripped up months after, you know, it was um, in, in months after he, he supported. Similarly, with people like uh, the members of the European Research Group uh, and various other uh, extreme Brexiteers saying that the withdrawal agreement they've just realised actually uh, hampered the UK's ability to have a true uh, Brexit. So that's why you might say this all looks a little bit like a uh, theatre. Like if they, if you had Brexiteers leading up to this and now you have the UK government uh, threatening to, to rip it up, then it's obviously something that was quite planned. Um, the, the question is, what, what are they trying to do? Are they trying to create chaos so that the EU will budge on certain issues and that they'll get a good trade agreement? Or even more sinister, um, did they did they sign up to the withdrawal agreement just to be able to leave the EU and had no intention of fulfilling uh, its requirements in the first place? And what has the reaction then been on the EU side? Because it's a lot to take in because you're you're looking at going, do I believe this like fully and this is exactly what's happening? Or do I think this is a, a tactic and I have to then come up with my own tactics going into these trade talks this week? Yes, so um, it's an interesting question. So on the record, you hear President of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, and also today, Charles Michel, the President of the European Council, and they're just asking for calm. And they're just reminding the UK that they have uh, obligations under international law to um, ensuring that the withdrawal agreement, the Irish Protocol, uh, is put in place. Um, and that's sort of um, you know, on the record. Off the record, they're pretty frustrated. Um, uh, people have spoken to Michelle Barnier's office saying it's ridiculous and it's actually outrageous that the UK would specifically not just resolve the withdrawal agreement per se, but also that they're targeting Northern Ireland, which is such a delicate um, and sensitive matter, knowing that the EU will do its best to support there being an island-free island, Ireland of Ireland. So the EU is pretty frustrated with this. Um, 
And another element is even if this is a ploy to get a better deal or they are seriously considering not implementing the withdrawal agreement, the outcome is that the signature or the word of this Tory government is not worthy. And essentially, as uh, uh, Philippe Lambert, who's the, on the Brexit Steering Committee of the European Parliament and leader of the Green Party in, in the European Parliament, he says you know, that the UK is essentially a rogue state. That's an incredible thing to say for you know, a country like the United Kingdom. So is this now expected behaviour from Britain? Well, in a way it is, uh, Sinead, because of the nature of the way Brexit has played out for the past four years. First of all, the UK didn't really know what Brexit looked like. Then the UK didn't really have a consensus on what Brexit should look like because obviously many in the, uh, the Parliament at the time were actually Remainers. Some wanted to stay close to the EU, the single market. Some wanted to move away, uh, you know, completely. But all, above all, you know, the term perfidious Albion has been echoed throughout Brussels because the UK has never been quite honest. And if you look at um, Boris Johnson, you know, last year saying, for example, that he got the EU to, to reopen the withdrawal agreement when he didn't necessarily, there's been quite a lot of blurred lines come of the UK. And ultimately, the UK doesn't appear to be a reliable partner for the EU and the EU has been saying really for some time now that they haven't been negotiating in good faith. Yeah, we have an explainer, our producer Aoife Barry actually has an explainer on what perfidious Albion means and where it came from. So we'll link to that as well um, in this episode. But what does it mean for when the negotiators are actually sitting down for these trade talks this week? What are they saying to each other? Well, that's a good question. They started back today and I've actually spoken to some people from Michelle Barnier's team and, you know, uh, what they'll be looking for, first of all, is clarification from the UK that they do intend to um, implement the withdrawal agreement, the Irish Protocol, because the Irish Protocol is a prerequisite. They they are hand in hand. Even if the free trade agreement talks were going well, they wouldn't be able to implement them or sign off on them um, if the protocol was being, wasn't being implemented. So that's something that they'd be seeking clarification for. And I think that the, the talks are going to be, I mean, just incredibly difficult because already trust was in such short supply. And as I said earlier, the talks were developing very far. So today, Michel Barnier and his counterpart, David Frost, are in London and they'll be looking for assurances to say, are you actually walking away from an international treaty? Because if you are, then A, we can't do a, tr a trade deal with you because they go hand in hand. And B, you know, if this is a cynical move, then how can we trust that you'll follow through on any future relationship that we have? So it's going to be incredibly difficult. I mean, notwithstanding the fact that even the talks themselves, as we mentioned, around fisheries, around other stuff, um, that they've been very much running into difficulty. Are there any other sanctions for Britain not upholding an international treaty like the withdrawal agreement? Well, because it's um, an, a, a treaty with the EU, it'll be the European Court of Justice uh, that that could call the UK to the court. You know, I mean, it takes a long time, by the way, for that to get to that point because there's various committees within the withdrawal agreement, various stru like dispute mechanism situations where the two sides can come together before we'd ever get to the European Court of Justice. The reason for that is because the EUK has always wanted to ensure that oversight from the European Court of Justice, uh, or the lack of oversight of the European Court of Justice was a, a defining part of Brexit. So it would go to various committees uh, before it went to the European Court of Justice, but it could get to the European Court of Justice for sure, uh, depending on really how all this plays out. Is there truth in the narrative that other countries will look at this and run a mile before negotiating with Britain on a, a trade agreement? Or do they think of this as a very different situation and that's why it's got so sticky and difficult and they'd actually be fine with negotiating? Well, you see, What's interesting is not just this situation with the UK and the EU, it's the times we live in. 
Uh, when you look at Donald Trump, uh, for example, and the pop populism that is spread across the world, particularly though with Donald Trump, where they uh, have no regard for international law, no regard for refugee convention when it comes to migrants' rights. Uh, he's sanctioning the International Criminal Court. He disregards the United Nations, he, uh, which is the covenant of so much of our conventions and our international law. He d disregards NATO. So international law, which is you know uh, senior to all national law, means nothing to people like Donald Trump and he gets away with it. And we heard today, interestingly, from Kim Darrick, who's the former um, UK ambassador to the United States, he said that Boris is um, enamoured by Donald Trump and the fact that Donald Trump acts now, apologises, well, doesn't even apologise later, but has total regard for international law, customs and norms. And the UK and the US used to be two countries that really upheld the rules-based system um, that was established after the Second World War through the United Nations and the various other you know, co uh, covenants and conventions that we have, we have had. But that seems to be falling apart. So I think that Boris Johnson actually is a, is a person who's decided, well, look, let me see how far I can get away with this. Normally that wouldn't work. But if you don't have a safeguard in the West like the United States would have been in the past, then you could possibly get away with it. Because if you look to other examples like um, Bolsonaro in Brazil, who says the most outrageous things, has no regard for the Paris Climate Accord and the deforestation uh, that's happening there. If you look at the EU, people like Viktor Orban, the Polish government, uh, they constantly breach European law. They're constantly for, in front of the European Court of Justice, and yet there doesn't seem to be any meaningful sanction. So, so this issue around um, the withdrawal agreement and the protection of international law is bigger than just Brexit. It's actually very dangerous for for the global world system. It's dangerous for Ireland because the remember the Good Friday Agreement itself is an international treaty. If there's nobody to uphold international law, then these things fall apart. Yeah. Are there internal checks? Because I know the Financial Times had a, another story today about the head of the UK government legal department quitting over just this, the decision to try and overwrite paragraphs of the, the Northern Ireland Protocol. Will will that have an impact on, on Boris Johnson's plans? Or does that signal that Boris Johnson actually is planning this rather than just um, sable rattling? Yeah, well, I think it actually proves that in a way, that this is what's happening because if somebody says in all good faith I can't do my job because my job is to uphold uh, the system of law the system of rules and to ensure that the UK abides by you know international law and he can't do that because the Prime Minister inter is interfering then that, that says an awful lot but remember this is Boris Johnson who, who uh, unconstitutionally prorogued Parliament you know, he had 12, was it 12, 13 Supreme Court judges all unanimously saying that what he did to suspend Parliament was illegal. That's huge. I mean, that's the type of thing you see in an autocratic society, not in a functioning democracy. Um, and so you see a litany of this, this stuff taking place. And you hear as well, you know, when I speak to, let's say, people who are part of the negotiations with the EU, um, the difference between the Boris Johnson, let's say, negotiating team in some ways, and it's even Theresa May's, was that a lot of them are coming from uh, the Brexiteer movement as opposed to coming from, you know, the civil service. I'm not saying that all of them, but some, but there is a lot of them who are ideologues rather than civil servants or rather than negotiators who are negotiating based on, you know, knowledge of trade law or WTO law, but are actually negotiating based on, you know, this um, far-fetched notion of sunlit uplands uh, of what Brexit can um, can create. Um, just to get your crystal ball out, and I know that's impossible um, for Brexit, but what are the possible scenarios for the 31st of December this year? A basic trade deal to, that would ensure um, that goods flow freely from the UK to the European Union um, and that the protocol 
remains intact, but that it's just a basic goods um, free trade agreement and it doesn't deal with services or various other issues. That would probably be, that's probably what the UK are looking for. But I just don't know if, if even that's possible because the issue around level playing field will matter even in the event if um, the trade deal is very, very minimal because the, U the EU says if you want to export into our market, you still have to have the same production standards. You still have to uphold the same standards as the member states here do around the environment, around labour laws, uh, around ensuring that people aren't paid pittance, uh, you know, for putting together a car in a manufacturing uh, place in Sunderland, whereas they, whereas other member states have to uphold, you know, better standards when it comes to labour rules and and labour payments, the environment similarly, and then this issue about state aid that you can't distort competition by giving a load of money to various industries uh, in the UK. That means that goods are exported cheaper and dist distorts the prices around Europe. So even if it's a minimal trade agreement, the EU will still insist on level playing field and state aid rules to apply. So that's why this is a very, very difficult situation. And the EU will still want access to the UK's fishing waters. And that is also an incredibly contentious issue. So that's just like, I mean, that's, I suppose, the most hopeful uh, situation. The second part is if they walk away with no trade agreement and then trade is completely blocked which is going to be huge for Ireland, of course, because a lot of our trade goes from the island of Ireland uh, through the UK to Dover and then moves on to Rotterdam. So they have to, they have to, have to find an alternative route to getting stuff to mainland Europe from Ireland, which I think they're working on. But also, besides the trade implications, which will be massive, you know, especially for people in the UK who want to import goods from the EU, and the diplomatic relations will be really disastrous. I mean, this is a, a country that has had, you know, 40 odd years relationship with the EU, walking away from its closest neighbours. It's a failure of diplomacy, but the acrimony will be massive. And then, and, and a lot of people in Brussels have said this to me, not Irish people uh, necessarily, but the this disruption in Northern Ireland will be incredible because what will happen is, I mean, if they're not going to implement the withdrawal agreement, which they're required to do under international law, does that mean that Ireland then has to put up the border on the island of Ireland to ensure that the EU border is manned? And then what does that spark off in the north? I mean, we're back to square one to the same uh, conversation we had a year ago if this withdrawal agreement is torn up. I mean, this is worst case scenario because the British government are still saying today when I speak to them, look, it's not that we want to destroy the withdrawal agreement, we want to reinterpret it. But reinterpret it, rip it up, they kind of, you know, go hand in hand depending what that reinterpretation looks like. So we really, really are back to, to square one and getting closer to deadlines and, and trying to get something to work for everybody. Thanks so much, Shona, for coming in and explaining all of that to us. And I'm sure we'll be talking to you again way before December 31st. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Shona for her work on this episode. If you read the journal, you may have seen our appeal in the past few months for you to support our journalism. It's a difficult time for media as advertising revenues fell drastically during the pandemic, but we are and want to keep providing you and the rest of our 800,000 daily users with valuable, accessible journalism. Loads of you have felt it's important for society to have that open access to news and good information like this podcast and have supported us. A lot of you have asked if there was a way you could give more regularly. We now have options to become a regular supporter. And if this is something you'd like to do, please head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by executive producer Christine Bohan, producer Aoife Barry and tech operator Laura Byrne. If you're enjoying these episodes, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And more importantly, share with a friend who you think will enjoy them. 
Thank you and catch you next time.